This is Ned Ryan, and welcome to episode 36 of the Ned Ryan Podcast. So, here we are, a week out from the biggest election, I think, in U.S. history. And pretty, it's just an amazing time to be alive, I'll tell you that much. I mean, last night, we got to see Amy Coney Barrett, the notorious and glorious uh, ACB, uh, confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court added deliciousness to it all was the fact that she was uh, voted, confirmed, and then sworn in on Hillary Clinton's birthday. So even more exciting and delicious uh, aspect to it all. And in perfect time to actually be sworn in because I do think there is a significant chance, not insignificant chance, let me qualify by by saying that, that this election might end up in the Supreme Court. So now we actually have a full Supreme Court should this election go to, um, uh, to to the Supreme Court, which I hope it doesn't. I hope that this is decided definitively next Tuesday night by the time the polls close and that Donald Trump will be declared the victor uh, in the Electoral College and maybe even, although I doubt it, but maybe even the national popular vote as well. So I wanted to go through just some of the things I'm looking at coming down the home stretch. Again, one week out. I've said on TV, I've said on Tucker's show that I thought this was the most important election since 1860. I would actually say I'm coming out with a new op-ed with American Greatness this week in which I think I was wrong with the new revelations about some of this Biden foreign influence peddling, Hunter Biden, etc. I think it's the biggest, perhaps even in U.S. history, because of this, because of some of these things that we have now seen in the last week or two regarding Hunter Biden, but most especially Joe Biden. And his willingness to do business, to facilitate business with some of our the existential threats to the U.S., whether it's China, especially China, but obviously some very shady deals with Russia, Ukraine, etc. And so I even said, and I, I kind of misstated this a little bit last week on Tucker, what I wanted to say, not only the most important in U.S. history, but I can make the argument, one of the most important in world history. Uh, but when you have producers yelling in your ear to rap, rap, rap in the last 30 seconds and you're trying to think clearly, sometimes it comes out a little uh, garbled. But I do think you could make the argument that in the whole s- scheme of things in world history, that the November 3rd, 2020 U.S. presidential elections are some of the most important that we've ever seen in world history. Why? Because I think Joe Biden is so heavily compromised on the issue of China, and he lacks the ability. He lacks the complete ability to actually stand firm in the face of the Chinese communists, the barbaric and genocidal Chinese communist imperial ambitions, whether it's on trade, whether it's on technology. And I think the only country in the world that has the ability, the economic strength, and the military power to actually thwart the Chinese ambitions is, of course, the United States. But if there is, and God forbid there is, a President Joe Biden in the White House, his, he is so compromised on this issue of China that he would implode the U.S.'s ability to stand in the way of China, put us on the path to being a tributary state of China's, and the world would be China's. Truly would be. There's no other country in the world that can thwart them besides the United States. There's no other country that has the economic 
or military strength to actually thwart and then rally other countries around to actually stand in the way of China. And if America goes down because of a compromised Joe Biden presidency, the world is China's. That's how scary this election is. That all to say, as I'm sitting here a week out, what am I looking at to really kind of forecast what will happen on election night a week from now? I'll tell you what I'm not looking at. I'm not looking at Fox News polls. I'll tell you that much. They've, they, Fox News polls have always been off. I mean, I remember even with the Roy Moore Senate special election down in Alabama, December of 2017, I think they had Roy Moore losing by 10. He lost by one. I mean, they've been, they've been off sometimes by seven, eight, nine points on some of this stuff. So I, I think one of the things Fox News has to do if they're serious about it is look at getting a new pollster. There are a lot of other polls out there that I think, and I have a theory on this before I dive in, in too much more into this. I have a theory on some of these skew polls. One is they are voter suppression, right? You know, I'll get panic texts from people saying, is this real? You know, is, does he does he even have a chance? Does Trump even have a chance? Yes, he. I'm going to explain to you why he has more than a chance. But there's polls that are meant to cause a lack of, of faith, but even discouragement among the base. Like, what's the point? If he's already lost, what's the point of us even going out? I'm happy to say I don't think that's obviously had much of an impact on anybody. I'll talk about some of those dynamics as well. But I think there's another second, there's a second aspect to these ridiculous polls uh, that are, are clearly skewed against Trump. It's not just voter suppression, but it's also when he wins, and I am optimistic, very optimistic that he will win on November 3rd, those polls will be used, even though they are skewed, even though they are bogus polls, their weighting is off, etc., will be used as justification by the left to support their violent reaction to Trump's win, including burning and looting uh, in major urban areas and causing chaos and sowing dissension and resisting trying to start a color revolution to unseat uh, Donald Trump and claim that his victory is not legitimate using, again, these bogus polls. So I think there's two aspects, again, voter suppression and then justification. So what am I looking at? Well, again, I'm not really looking at national polls, even though, you know, IBD tip, which was one of the more accurate polls in 2016, by the way, uh, just showed Trump down by two uh, in the national vote, the national popular vote. He's only down two points in the most recent one to Joe Biden. I don't care. I don't care if he was up five or 10 points in the popular vote because we all know, you know, winning the national popular vote in a dollar gets you a Coke, right? means nothing. It all comes down to the Electoral College and the Electoral College and a, and a national election, presidential election, comes down to a handful of states, right? There's just certain states that are not going to come out of the column, the blue column or the red column. And I'm sorry, I, I, I hear all this talk, is Texas in play? no. Will Texas be in play in the future? I, I think so. I, I think we, we should not sleep on Texas. Do I think Georgia's in play this time? No, I don't. Do I think it's close? Yes. Do I think we shouldn't sleep on Georgia moving forward? Absolutely. The battleground states that I'm truly looking at, uh, in, in Ohio, I'm sorry, Ohio's off the map, by the way, too. So the battleground states that I'm looking at that I think truly will decide the election are North Carolina, uh, Florida, Arizona, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, and Pennsylvania, right? So those are the states that I'm looking at to truly 
decide the national election, the 2020 presidential elections. Among those states, what should we be looking at? I have always looked at Trafalgar polls, Rasmussen polls, as being far more reliable and actually far more accurate when it comes to likely voters in battleground states. Like, what does this look like? You look at some of those polls, Trump's winning Florida, right? Even though there's been multiple likely voter polls in Florida showing him winning by three or four points. There's a lot of other dynamics I'll talk about that are not poll numbers to show you also why I think he's going to win Florida. North Carolina, uh, he's up a couple points, one or two points, I think, with Trafalgar recently. Even other polls are showing it's within the margin of error. So that's an interesting dynamic. Obviously, the whole situation with the Democratic Senate candidate and his whole sexting scandal, I think, is obviously going to help Tom Tillis uh, win. And I think Trump win as well. So I'm not really that... I, I mean, I think North Carolina is a bit close. Don't get me wrong. Don't sleep on it. Everybody get out and vote. Uh, in North Carolina, same with Florida. I'll tell you some of those dynamics in Florida, especially with early in-person voting. Uh, Arizona. Arizona is kind of an interesting, uh, really interesting state. I, I think the Senate race could be a sleeper. I think people had written off Martha McSally weeks and months ago that she didn't have a chance. I mean, I think there was one poll back in the summer showing her down by 17 points. There's a poll that just came out the other day showing up by two. Uh, there's polls coming out, likely voter polls coming out of Arizona showing Trump up by four. So this all to say, Arizona is looking pretty positive for us. Is it a done deal? Of course not. I don't think any of these states will actually be done deals until 8 p.m. Uh, when, when the polls close in these respective states and we get to actually get the vote total count out of it. So, Arizona looking strong. Iowa's a dead heat, right? And Joni Ernst is down. Not by much. It's within the margin of error. I think I saw the average as 1.8 points, so it's well within the margin of error in the Senate race. Dead heat in, some, uh, in a recent Susquehanna poll in Iowa. So, you've got Iowa. It's a, it's a toss-up. I think Trump has to win Iowa. He can lose Nevada. He's got to win Iowa. And then you get to the upper Rust Belt, Wisconsin, there was a poll that came out showing Trump up by one with likely voters. I will say this. I think that he has a very, very good chance of winning Wisconsin. I know that in all of these things, and I'll talk about this in more detail later, the ground game in, in Wisconsin and other battleground states for the Joe Biden campaign has been abysmal. In fact, they just started knocking doors a few weeks ago. We've been doing voter contact with American Majority Action since June. Um, and I will say this, I, I'm usually, I can be highly critical of the RNC. The RNC and the Trump campaign have done phenomenal job on get out the vote work. They have literally maxed out their doors with their volunteers, with paid firms that do live door knocks. They are maxed out. It is pretty incredible to watch. I think it's one of the best get out the vote efforts I've seen in presidential politics in recent times. So then move from Wisconsin to Michigan. Michigan, John James, Trafalgar had him up a couple points in the Senate race. Uh, you look at that, you look at Trump, I think within one or up one. I think Michigan is another state that Trump could win again. Uh, he, if he wins Wisconsin and Michigan and holds Iowa and Arizona, North Carolina, Florida, it's, it's over. That puts him, I think, in the 280-something 
range, 285, 286 for Electoral College. If if he gets all of these t- states, he doesn't need Minnesota. He doesn't need Pennsylvania. Uh, he doesn't need New Hampshire. He doesn't even need you know Maine two and Nebraska one or two. However, they break up the congressional districts, electoral college. Obviously, they break them out by electoral by congressional districts. They break the electoral college votes out in those respective states, Nebraska, Maine. He doesn't need those either. So, likely voter polls in the battleground states show. Trump with poll position, narrowly. I'll, I'll tell you that. And we're a week out, and things get screwy. But right now, a week out, uh, it feels pretty good. So what are some of the other dynamics I'm looking at? Well, look at some of the court cases that have been taking place. Obviously, a judge by judicial fiat in Michigan about a month ago decided that she was going to legalize ballot harvesting and extend the Michigan election day into election weeks, right? That you'd be able to count ballots up to two weeks after election day if they are postmarked by November 2nd. That court, that, that case has been successfully challenged and completely shut down. So in Michigan, all ballots have to be counted by the time the polls close on November 3rd. So we've won that court case. In Wisconsin, we've also won the court case, right? It was back and forth. It was kind of, it was not a done deal for a while in Wisconsin, uh, obviously, a, a, the court had decided they'll extend election day by six days, right? You can count absentee ballots up to six days after election day in Wisconsin. Uh, the Seventh Circuit stepped in and put a stay on it and then decided that the people bringing the case, Republicans bringing the case, did not have standing in the state of Wisconsin and so said it will stand. You'll be able to count ballots six days after. Then uh, the course, the the, the case was challenged. Obviously, the ruling was challenged. Republicans found those with standing inside of the state, went back in front of the Seventh Circuit. By unanimous decision, they said, okay, now that you have standing, we agree. All ballots have to be counted on election day in Wisconsin. You don't get a six-day extension. So Democrats challenged that all the way to the Supreme Court. Yesterday, the Supreme Court decided by a five to three margin that, no, in fact, you have to have all ballots in and counted by November 3rd in Wisconsin. So we've won the Wisconsin and Michigan cases. Bad news is we've lost Pennsylvania, right? I think Pennsylvania is going to be very hard for Trump to win. Good news is I'm not sure he's going to need Pennsylvania. I'm not. Uh, Based off just some of my electoral college maps and some of my calculations, he won't need Pennsylvania, which is good because I think they have done some really egregious things. Uh, the, the state Supreme Court in Pennsylvania, allowing them to count ballots. Now the Supreme Court, Justice Chief Justice John Roberts, who's an embarrassment, uh, agreed and let it stand that they can count ballots up to three days after Election Day in Pennsylvania. Uh, now the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, by seven to nothing decision, said that even if the signatures don't match the name on the ballot, they can still be counted. And of course, they've also previously ruled that even if it's not postmarked by November 3rd, you have to prove that it was somehow should be disqualified, or if you can't, it'll still be counted. So there's just a lot of weird dynamics. And then throw in the Philadelphia precincts, right? The, the, the Philadelphia machine, they're going to have ridiculous turnout, 110% turnout, almost guarantee it. Um, I can almost guarantee it'll be 100% turnout, which is crazy. Uh, but you'll, you'll see numbers that don't make sense coming out of Philadelphia. That all to say, uh, the court case in Pennsylvania is problematic, uh, I do 
I will say this, that if it for some strange reason comes down to Pennsylvania, that's where it will go to the Supreme Court. It will be challenged all the way up to the Supreme Court. We'll see another replay of 2000 where it all centered around Florida. That's why it's good that we have Amy Coney Barrett now on the bench, sworn in, ready to be able to rule on any any cases that come before the Supreme Court that have to do with the election results. What are some of the other things I've been looking at? Obviously, the primary strength modeling of, of Helmut Norpoth out of Stony Brook. I've mentioned it before based off primary strength where Trump performed very well uh, in the primaries and Biden was very weak. Uh, Norpoth gives a 91% chance of Trump winning on November 3rd. So then he's been right 25 out of 27 times. So you look at the primary strength modeling, again, 91% chance that Trump wins. Voter registration data. This is something that has been of great interest to some people, including J.P. Morgan, because they want to, they they are looking for some dynamics with with some of their investors going. Essentially, we don't trust the polls, right? So some of the analysts over there were looking at some of the different dynamics that they think will influence election, show show indicators of who will win the election. And one of them really looked at voter registration data and the trends and the historical trends. How does it sh- how does it line up with voter registration data indicating who will win a state? Well, he, this this analyst found that voter registration data is actually a really good indicator of who will win the state. And based off his analysis, voter registration, which again, kind of a shocking thing that the RNC and the Trump campaign have done this so well in the battleground states. But according to this J.P. Morgan analyst, all of the voter registration data points to Trump not just winning most of the battleground states, it shows him winning all of the battleground states. They've done a phenomenal job. I mean, in Pennsylvania and Florida and Arizona, you look at what they have done in regards to voter registration. They have dramatically cut and narrowed the gap. In states they won, right, in 2016, they have narrowed the gap considerably in these battleground states in regards to voter registration, so much to the point that, again, J.P. Morgan analyst points to this shows Trump winning not most but all of the battleground states. He doesn't need to win them all, but if he won most of them, it's, it's a runaway. If he wins them all, it might come close to a landslide. He'll be in the 320s, 330s maybe. I don't think it's going to be that, though, just so we're clear. My floor for Trump is 275. I could make an argument that I could get him to 316. And I think that would be a stunning rebuke to big tech and media and the left and Democrats and the deep state and everybody else that has been arrayed against Donald Trump. If he were to show up with and win 316 electoral votes, be amazing. So what else am I looking? I'm looking at the Bradley effect. And I, I've used this term. I call it the poll tax, the Bradley effect, in which it's a refer, it's, I refer to uh, the mayor of Los Angeles. This is a few decades ago, um, Bradley, Mayor Bradley, who was running for governor. And all these polls were showing him up by six points, and he ends up losing by a point. Because nobody wanted to admit that they were not going to vote for the black mayor of L.A., so they weren't going to tell a pollster, nope, I'm voting against Bradley, for fear that they'd be called a racist. The Bradley effect slash poll tax is a very real phenomenon for Donald Trump. Is it seven points? I don't think so. Is it three or four? I could probably make a pretty strong argument looking at some of these these reports uh, in which people have said we self-censor. We don't want to have, we don't want to share our views. 
with anybody for fear we'll call, be called a deplorable or a racist. And they're not going to have a conversation with a pollster and say, yeah, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. Heck, they, they're not even picking up the phone. So, of course, they're not being counted. So I do think there is the Bradley effect for Donald Trump. The question is, again, is it three points, four points, five points? I don't know, but it's somewhere in that neighborhood. I really do believe that. And, and you'll see, you even look at some of these states in 2016 where Hillary is leading by a point or two coming into election day and Trump wins by three. Right? So that kind of ties into my theory. It's three to five points, somewhere in that range. So that's something to look at as well. Uh, the, the enthusiasm gap. Rasmussen did a poll recently, uh, I think it was a week or two ago, in which there's a 20-point enthusiasm gap between Trump and Biden. His, Trump's base is fired up. I mean, if you haven't noticed, right? If you haven't noticed all of these spontaneous parades, of car parades, boat parades, 7,000-person march in Beverly Hills over the weekend, and I saw video clips of it. It's crazy. It's the, it's the bluest of the blue part of California, right? Beverly Hills. And 7,000 people showed up marching down the street. It seemed like every third or fourth person had a Trump flag. It was incredible to see. But they're just showing up and doing these things spontaneously. It's incredible. Biden doesn't have that. Biden does not have nearly that enthusiasm level. And it is a real thing. Does it, does it result in greater voter turnout? A little bit. I, I would make the argument, again, purely anecdotally, that it is going to help the turnout efforts uh, that are already in there functionally, right? The, the, the functional aspects of get out the vote for the Republicans are there. They've been in the field for months, as have, you know, outside groups like American Majority Action. We didn't just wake up a few weeks ago and go, oh, we should do doors. No, no, we've been doing doors for, we've been doing doors and phones and peer-to-peer texting for months in targeted battleground states. And I will say this, the other advantage in regards to get out the vote, which is kind of my next topic, we've been doing at American Majority Action field efforts, door efforts, uh, issue advocacy slash direct advocacy since 2010. Right, so 10 years. We've been doing this basically year in and year out. We do a lot of stuff, obviously, in federal elections, but in off-year elections, spring elections, say, in Wisconsin, we're doing it as well. No matter how many times we've done this, it usually takes you about three weeks to spin up and get everybody fully clicking on a ground game effort. That all to say, Biden just started his three or four weeks ago. They're just getting up to speed with a week out. Right? They're not, they're not, they're not, they're just getting to firing on full cylinders right now. Whereas the Trump campaign, the outside groups were firing on full full throttle, full cylinders months ago. That's that's huge because a really good get out the vote personal contact game can change a race two to three points. And I'm telling you, this is in Trump's favor. Right? Again, I can't tell you. I know that there's been a little bit of fudging of the, the numbers with some of the RNC where they'll go knock on a door of three or four registered voters and claim that's three or four door knocks, which is absurd. In fact, I, so just, you know, there's been some numbers out of states where they'll claim 30,000 doors or, or 40,000 doors, I think is what it was, when in fact it was closer to twelve or 15,000 doors. Twelve or 15,000 legitimate door knocks in a day is massive at, in and of its own right. So they're doing a great job. It's just some of the numbers have been fudged a little bit upwards. But even if you, you know, parse it down to the real numbers, still a very robust effort. And that's just on the RNC. The Trump campaign has been doing the same thing. But they've been actually legit numbers, right? They, they haven't been trying to pat them at all. 
So that all to say, the ground game is going very well for uh, Donald Trump. Now, what are the other dynamics that are taking place right now? Let me just break it out in regards to Miami-Dade County in Florida. Monday of last week, so just over a week ago, Democrats were winning statewide in Florida by about 19 points, right? They put a ton of money and effort into early mail-in, absentee ballot, let's run the score up, let's get a big lead. Well, within basically, essentially seven days, call it seven days, that lead went from 19 points to 4.6 points. And how did that happen? Well, early voting started a week ago, started Monday of last week. Republicans are literally storming to the polls to vote in person in the early in-person in voting, which is kind of funny. Now, the, the, the historical dynamics of Florida have always been this. Republicans win the absentee ballot vote. Okay, Then Democrats win the early in-person vote. In fact, they close the gap and actually go into a little bit of a lead going into Election Day, and then Republicans come storming back on Election Day and win the state. That's been the historical trends in Florida. Everything's been turned on its head. Republicans were down significantly after the absentee mail-in vote, and then in the early in-person vote, have cut 15 points off the lead in a week, with a week to go. What's even crazier is this, and I've been tweeting about some of this, but I'm going to highlight it here. Miami-Dade County is a bastion for the Democrats, right? This is where they run up the score if they have any hopes of winning the state. So in 2016, Hillary Clinton won Miami-Dade by 30 points. She still lost the state, okay? What is happening right now is pretty stunning. Still down. Republicans are still down in Miami-Dade County overall just because, again, the the run-up number for the early mail-in ballots. What is stunning, though, is that over the weekend, I started looking at some of the early in-person voting numbers. Republicans on Sunday were winning the early in-person voting in Miami-Dade by 3,000 votes. But it gets better. Today, they've taken it from a 3,000-vote margin to a 5,000-vote margin. 115,000 Republicans have voted in person in Miami-Dade versus 110,000 Democrats. That's unheard of. Republicans aren't supposed to win anything anywhere at any time in Miami-Dade County. They're winning early in-person voting by 5,000 votes as of today, one week from the elections. The trends are continuing that Republicans are coming out in great numbers to vote early. Now, are there new voters? Well, that goes back to the voter registration. because so some people have made the argument, Sean Trend actually wrote a really good piece at Real Clear Politics yesterday or the day before. You know, what does this actually mean? You know, the, are, are Democrats ahead or behind? Actually, Democrats are behind of where they were in 2016 in regards to their vote voting numbers right now, which is something that's not being reported. Shocker. Uh, and they're way behind where they were in 2012. So where you know Republicans are ahead, and Republicans have also done, again, that voter registration. They've created a lot of new voters, which, oh, by the way, and it's not always true, but I rule of thumb has been 80% of those newly registered vote in their next election. They become super voters. Is it going to be 80%? I don't know. Is it going to be 60 or 70%? Probably. Maybe 80%. That all to say we've created a lot of new voters. Republicans have. Uh, the overwhelming majority of whom will actually vote this November 3rd. So when we have the early voting numbers that are shockingly in our favor, 
Some people have said, well, it just means that those people that were going to vote on election day just showed up early. It doesn't mean there's any new voters. Not entirely true, actually. Republicans have stashed away a lot of new voters that are going to be showing up um, to vote for Donald Trump. Um, so there's a couple other points I want to make, too, as we're coming out of the home stretch narrative. The narrative is not in Biden's favor. The, the media is doing its best to memory hole this Joe Biden scandal. I'm not going to call it the Hunter Biden scandal. It's the Joe Biden scandal, the laptop from hell, in which it looks like the Biden cartel crime family had Hunter as the bag man, but everything flowed back to Joe. Come on. Hunter Biden was the bag man, the straw man, the front man, whatever you want to call him for the, for the cartel. But the head of the cartel is the big guy. It's Joe Biden. And despite their best attempts, the mainstream media's best attempts to basically refuse to report on this. If we don't report on it, it didn't happen. It's still getting out there. Will it have as big an impact as it would have had maybe a month ago? No. Will it have some sort of impact? Yes. Do I think it will have what will be the biggest impact, whether it's the foreign, foreign influence peddling or the really questionable behavior of Hunter Biden uh, that, that might turn off suburban moms? We'll have to see. We will have to see what happens. Uh, people keep on touting, well, this isn't going to have as big an impact because there's so many people that have already voted. You know, just a couple days ago, it was last week, I think, uh, Fox News made the point. This was when there were 47 million people that had already voted this year. I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of people, but 37 million had already voted this time in 2016. So yes, there is a significant increase, but it's not as though we didn't have significant early voting in 2016. That all to say... There are a lot of people that still vote on Election Day. There's still a lot of people that were watching the debate, this last debate, who have real questions about what's taking place with Joe Biden and potential influence peddling, not potential, I think it exists, with China, with Russia, with Ukraine, and with some other really questionable foreign business dealings, in which, again, according to some texts and emails, 10% being held back by H for the big guy, uh... Hunter Biden's text in which he says, you know, I'm not going to be like pops and take half your paycheck. So the question is, how much of that money is actually flowing back to Joe? Well, according to Hunter, it could be anywhere from 10 to 50 percent. You know, and despite Joe Biden's denials, I have never received a dollar from a foreign government. Of course you didn't. That's why it was structured the way it was. Hunter is the front man. Foreign money comes into the LLC. It's cleaned. It's rinsed. It's laundered through there. And then you're paid through that. And then you can say, even though it's a lie, I've never received a dime from a foreign government. So the narrative is actually in Trump's favor. And, you know, the, the press knows this and they're trying to make coronavirus, COVID, they're going to go COVID, COVID, COVID nonstop for the next seven days. I mean, you'll literally think the apocalypse is upon us when, in fact, it's a lie. Uh, look at the CDC's survivability rates, 0 to 19, 99.978. Uh, 20 to 49, I think, is the next age group. 99.98. Uh, you look at the next one, it's my my age group, I think, is, is in there. It's 99.5. It's only until you get 70 and above where it becomes 94.6. Right? We're not dealing with the apocalypse. We're dealing with something. And oh, by the way, the average age of death for coronavirus, 78. Average age of death in the U.S. overall, 78. I mean, come on, people. This is, this is is such an egregious attempt to politicize this, and I agree with Trump. I've been saying this for a long time, that on November 4th, 
coronavirus ceases to be a useful political tool and we'll see it fade away, right? We're just going to see it drift away because people realize it's not useful anymore for anybody. Uh, the only way that I could see it actually still continuing is if the bureaucrats and the administrative state, God forbid Joe Biden wins, uses an effective tool to crush the American uh, economy and freedom. But as a useful political tool, if Trump wins, it, it'll go away. It'll go away because they realize, well, we tried using it, didn't work, throw it in the ash heap, move on. So this all to say, one week out, I've, I'm pretty confident that Joe Biden is going to lose and Donald Trump will win re-election. I'm also quietly optimistic that Republicans will keep the Senate, albeit with a smaller majority. And I have talked with certain people in the House who think they've got Republicans have a legitimate shot of taking the House back. I'm a little skeptical of that. Do I think they will narrow the gap? Absolutely. Do I think they will narrow it enough to actually take the majority? We shall see. That all to say there are some pickup, massive pickup opportunities. Again, we've got to win 18 of the 30 Trump districts that Democrats took in 2018, so the odds favor us. But we shall see. That all to say, coming down the home stretch, as Republicans are storming out of the trenches and going to the polls, I would encourage everyone listening that America is the world's last best hope for freedom. We have been that the leader of the forces of freedom for centuries. Literally since the founding of the Republic, we have been that, that voice of freedom and rallied others around us, especially in the 20th century. So as America is the last best hope of the world for freedom, the last best hope for America to be free, Donald J. Trump, vote accordingly on November 3rd.